Didn't she do well? A natural. Right, hi, I'm Clay. I've got a question for you this evening. Uh, What is the difference between a student and an apprentice? Hmm. They're kindness. One gets paid. One gets paid. I want to be one of those. Um, I was I was I was a student once myself many years ago. I studied biochemistry and physiology at the, uh, Massey University, and I spent a lot of time in labs and a lot of time in lecture halls and a lot of time in books. And over this time, I accumulated a wealth of uh, what has become now very useless knowledge about some very specific scientific fields. And, uh, and unfortunately, I didn't pick up uh, much in the way of practical skills uh, either, other than titrating. That's right, titrating. Look it up. <laughs> Wikipedia, titrating. Um, my study didn't change me as a person, uh, though. It um, uh, didn't change me or the way I think about things. It didn't change where I was going. It didn't change my character. And yeah, it didn't change uh, my school level other than titrating. And titrating, um, oh, it sounds quite interesting. Hmm, what's titrating? It doesn't actually look that impressive on your CV. Mad titrating skills don't help you uh, with employment. Um, bow hunting and nunchucker schools, they look pretty good on a CV. I'm pretty sure that's how I got the job here. If there was ever an emergency, yeah, break dancing, yep. We're waiting for a prophetic moment for that to come out. Um, one, of my, one of my best mates is uh, a guy called Aaron. And uh, Aaron, Aaron didn't uh, go to university when he finished school, but he did... Uh, sign up for an apprenticeship and uh, as a builder and his uh, study experience was very different than mine uh, there was some book work I understand but Aaron spent most of uh, his time as an apprentice actually on building sites and so he spent most of his learning with a hammer in hand putting into practice the theory that he read in the textbooks and received from his tutors. Uh, so that was pretty different to, to me. Uh, though, after university, I ended up in a ministry internship. And the ministry internship was a lot more like an apprenticeship, except I didn't get paid. <laughs> but still, uh, it, was, it was very different in the way that the learning was presented. There was one day of lectures a week, and there was a day of study and the books and trying to process the stuff. But then there were three days of ministry, uh, and those were the days when I was supposed to put into practice the things that I was, I was learning. So I was learning to be a minister by ministering, which is a completely different way to look at it. And this, it turns out, is how Jesus discipled Peter and his followers. This is how he trained them up for the roles that they had in the kingdom. So we're going to talk about that a bit tonight, the way that Jesus discipled his followers. So with them, there were definitely times of teaching. He'd sit them down somewhere on the side of a hill and, and he would 
reveal to them the mysteries of the kingdom. And he'd try to explain it to them and they were not so smart, so it was hard for them to pick a lot of it up. And there were other times he would take them out into the villages and he would show them what he meant and he would perform the most amazing things. And he, they, would, they would see his character, they would see his compassion and they would see the power of God working through him. And all the time, they're learning, they're learning from him. So they hear about it from him, they see him do it, but then, and this is a very big then, then, in Luke chapter 9, we're going to spend a bit of time in Luke chapter 9 tonight, so if you've got the word, flick there now. Luke chapter 9, what happens next? Luke chapter 9, verse 1, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. And if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and they went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Verse 10, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Full on. True discipleship is not a theoretical process. It is very, very practical. Jesus sent his disciples out to have a go themselves even though they'd only be following him for a short while, and even though they only really understood so much, even though they only had so much faith, they knew enough and they had faith enough to do some pretty spectacular things in his name. Which leads to uh, an interesting question. How much do you really need to know? And how much faith do you really need to have to actually go out there and make a difference in this world. For most of us, we'd probably think, oh, I probably need just to know a little bit more than I know now, or maybe I need just a little bit more faith than I have right now. You know, more than, more than now. Turns out that we don't need very much at all. In John chapter 1, Andrew leads his brother Peter to Christ the same day that he met Jesus. John chapter 4, a Samaritan woman who has only just met Jesus herself heads straight back to her town and says to her neighbours, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 30, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. This Samaritan woman didn't know anything. She wasn't even 100% sure that Jesus was the Messiah at the start of this. But she had enough, just enough faith and just enough knowledge to lead the majority of her town to Christ. What's holding us back? She hadn't, uh, she hadn't studied at the feet of Jesus for years. Uh, she hadn't done evangelism training. 
She hadn't been to Bible college or rabbinical school as it would have been. Uh, she wasn't even, even a Jew. She was someone who the, the, uh, the Jews despised as, as Samaritan. But this is the woman with her tiny seed of faith and this simple testimony is able to lead a large group of people to faith in Christ. It kind of shames me out a bit. So why don't we hear stories like that here? Because we've got faith here. We've got faith. We believe God can do amazing things. And we've seen God do amazing things. We've got incredible testimonies of God's moves. We have them every week. We have them just now. We've got testimonies coming out of everywhere. But every good place. Um, but what, what, and this is the issue. What are we doing with these testimonies? We've got faith. We've got testimonies what are we doing with them? The Samaritan woman goes running back to her hometown. I think I've found him. I've found him. This man knows everything about me. Maybe he's the Messiah. Come and meet him. Come and find out. Sure enough, the people come and they come to faith. They come to Christ. We know so much more. We've experienced so much more. He just tells her that he knows about her past um, love life. That's what he tells her. I know about your love life. That's it. But that testimony leads the town to faith. So why don't, why don't we run out there back to our neighbours and share our testimony? I think one of the reasons, one of the main reasons is that we don't feel equipped to. Somehow we have picked up this idea that we are inadequate to share and to minister. We have this idea that to actually make a difference for the Lord and to, to share faith, that we need to uh, have a certain level of spiritual maturity, that we uh, need to have a specific spiritual gift, and that we definitely have to receive some kind of special calling to go out and do these things. There's this idea that we, we need to do a course or we need to read the right book, and that God can only really use us and make a difference once we've got rid of all the sin in our life and we're completely pure and holy. And then, when we're spiritual giants, God can change the world through us. But no, I'm too wretched for God to use me. If this was the case, and God could only use these super spiritual, super spirit giants to share faith, you know there wouldn't be a church in 2011. You know that, eh? I'm not talking about there wouldn't be a rock. I mean there wouldn't be a church on the planet because there would have only been through history a handful of people who were qualified to share the gospel. And everyone they shared with, well, they wouldn't be qualified to share the gospel, so it would die with them. Praise God that he uses wretched, broken people like me. And so the church grows like wildfire. This next key to growing as disciples of Christ and making a difference in the world is to take what little we have, what little faith, what little knowledge, what little power, what little resources, take these things and act on them, put them into practice. This is a very simple key, simple to, to, to understand, 
but difficult to apply. But the key is in the application. When we do this, when we take what God has given us, whatever it is, and put it into practice and use it, not only will we learn more about his grace and his power, but we will experience it in the most full-on ways. I'm not just talking about going out there and changing the world. I'm talking about this is the process how Jesus changes us. This is how Jesus made his disciples. And along the way, the world gets changed. How cool is that? Our faith will grow, our gifts will grow and will be honed. This is discipleship. This is how Jesus discipled his followers. When you're working with Jesus, uh, you, don't, uh, you don't need a lot to see him do amazing things. It doesn't take much at all. There's uh, an awesome story in, uh, in Luke chapter 9 again. The next day after Jesus' disciples have returned from their first mission, uh, preaching the gospel out on their own, they come back. And, um, and in chapter 9, it says the disciples returned from their first mission and Jesus took his disciples to the town of Bethsaida. In verse 11, the crowds learned about it and they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place. Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. But they answered, We've only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy some food for this crowd. And there were five thousand men there, and who knows how many women and children. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. The disciples did this, and everyone sat down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So Jesus takes five loaves of bread, two fish, and feeds thousands. What I found interesting looking over the story again is that, that Jesus uh, didn't conjure this food, the, the extra bread and fish. He didn't conjure it out of thin air. Now, I have faith to believe that Jesus is the king of heaven and he created everything we see. So I believe that he could have taken the, uh, the carbon and hydrogen and oxygen molecules from the air around him and he could have just thrown it all together and he could have made these things out of thin air. He could have rearranged nitrogen molecules to form uh, the, the constituents of this food. He could have done that, but he didn't. What he did was he took what the disciples had. He started with that. He started with, with five loaves of bread and two fish. And if it wasn't that, if it was, an, it was a lean day and it was only uh, one half piece of bread and, and a half dead fish, he would have started with that. He would have multiplied it because that's what he does. He takes what we have, he takes what we offer him, and he multiplies it. He magnifies it to fill the need. The need that day was thousands. What he started with, five bread, two fish. But he used what the disciples had. And what's interesting here, if you follow on, is that he, he didn't give the food out to the people himself. 
he gave it to the disciples and he said, you feed them, you give it to them, you take the baskets. So as far as the, the people were concerned, they received this huge feed from the disciples. It was from the disciples' hand because Jesus wanted to work through them to see this miracle achieved. And who knows where the multiplication took place. It must have taken place in the baskets they were carrying. They were partnering with Christ in this amazing miracle. Why? So they could learn from this. So they could experience this. The story is about them, not just about Jesus. It's about him taking them along this journey. So they got to partner with the Messiah. And that happened because they put all they had in his hand. They had what lunch they had, five loaves, two fish, and then they made themselves available for him to use. True discipleship is not a theoretical process. It's very practical. Jesus could have just told them that stuff. He could have just told them, you know, that we need to be generous and take care of the flock. He could have just told them that, you know, God has the power to feed the nations. He could have told them that. But he did, he did on the Sermon on the Mount. He did he said that exact thing. Here, he showed them and let them be a part of it. Very cool. The Apostle writes in James chapter 1, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in a mirror and after looking at themselves go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And this is how the kingdom of God works. God speaks to us as people. We receive his word and we put it into practice. God speaks, we listen, we receive and we act on it. Even when we don't understand it. You see here, understanding comes through the practice. And this is how we come to understand the word God gives us. And this is how we come to understand who God has called us to be. Because all knowledge, however we receive it, reading it in the book, hearing it in a sermon, even direct revelation from God, all knowledge is head knowledge until you live it. God could tell you anything. Amazing word. But until it's applied and, and actually living in you and expressed, it's just knowledge. We've got to live it. Bethel's School of Supernatural Ministry. Doesn't that sound cool? School of Supernatural Ministry. It sounds like a full-on school. They, they get this concept and they have shaped their whole curriculum around these principles. Uh, here's how they describe their learning experience uh, in their calendar. The school emphasises hands-on training and experience along with academic understanding. This creates a do and teach culture where all of the students are expected to take risks to stretch their faith and grow in their understanding of God. BSSM believes that each verse of the Bible is an invitation into an experience with the Lord. Therefore, the students are challenged to live the Bible. 
This produces a class environment that often feels very much like a laboratory where disciples practice the things they are being taught while instructors coach the process and all this takes place in a setting of passionate worship. As the year progresses and the students begin to gain confidence and experience within the safety of the classroom, they are sent on outreaches into the community. These exploits include ministry to neighbourhoods, after-school programmes and street and service evangelism. When the students take their supernatural ministry into the community, it gets pretty wild and exciting. <laughs> they return to class to share testimonies, give thanks and debrief, always cheering each other on as they share. Doesn't that sound awesome? Does it sound a little bit scary too? I think that's really good. I think it should sound a bit scary. We need to place ourselves in environments that are a little scary. Environments uh, that Greg calls unknown zones. Because it's in these spaces where we don't know what's going to happen and when we can't uh, overcome in our own strength that God can really stretch us and grow us. That's where we will really see God move. So what I'm saying here is that Jesus' model of discipleship was very different from the model that the contemporary church has picked up by and large. In Jesus' model, healings were discipleship. Evangelism was discipleship. Spiritual deliverance was discipleship. It wasn't just stories on the side of a hill. All of these things were part of the learning. These were all part of the journey he took his disciples on. Jesus threw his kids in the deep end. And what do you know? The kids swam. If this is all true, and you agree in principle with what I've been saying, and my understanding of the scriptures, a question would be, if this is true, what do we do with this? What do we do tomorrow? What's different because I, I believe this, that discipleship is a practical process that I need to invest in? We had a couple of ideas. If this is true, we need to drop the excuses that stop us sharing the hope that we have. Whatever those excuses are. I don't know enough. Um, there's sin in my life. Uh, I'm not an evangelist. Whatever the excuse is, if there's anything that's stopping you back from sharing your hope in Christ, the excuse is a lie. And any excuse which holds us back from what, doing what God has called us to do is something the devil is whispering in our ears. And I don't, that might sound quite full on to you, but God's people aren't sharing the gospel. Who wins with that? We need to drop our excuses that stop us sharing hope. And that's what we're actually called to share. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to share the hope that you have in Christ. That doesn't mean we need to be prepared to explain... Uh, predestination to everyone who walks up to us maybe don't look that one up um, we're to be prepared and looking for opportunities to share the hope we have and this is all this woman in Samaria um, the Samaritan woman does she shares the hope that this guy is the Christ and what he's done in her life that's what we're called to do anyone can do that Yet you could come to Christ tonight and be able to go home tonight and share hope Number two, we need to drop the excuses that we've been throwing out instead of getting involved in ministry. God will equip you for his calling. 
and you can't use that as an excuse either. Oh, I don't know my calling. You don't need writing on the wall to tell you to help out in the cafe or to pray for people or to share faith or to be generous. You serve where you can until God shows you the plan. We need our people to get involved here. Uh, the burden of, of keeping this vibrant community of faith running and blessing people is falling on the few who are doing the bulk of the work. And that is sad when there are so many people of faith here in this place. We want you to get involved and be a part of what we're doing. If you want to find out more about that, the Connect table uh, in the foyer has a lot of opportunities that we'd love you to consider. Number three, approach the scriptures more practically than maybe you have before. A lot of people approach the scriptures kind of like it's God's diary. And, 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 and you know, there are elements of that in there. Uh, God is pouring out his heart to us and yeah, I know people who read it like a love letter and there's certainly that, that element in there. But there's also a strong element that the Bible is our instruction manual for how to, how to understand who we are and fulfill our purpose. We don't, but so often we don't see it as being that practical. We need to start considering the scriptures we're reading and asking God this question, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? So we're seeking God to transform us and the word to transform us, but also we want what we do to be different because of this. So we're looking for practical outworkings of God's word as we engage with it. And there's one more that I was thinking of today, and uh, uh, this, is, this is one that I've picked up from, from my wife, Leslie. Uh, Leslie is blowing me away with the journey that she is on with God at the moment. Every morning, Leslie gets up early, uh, before the girls wake up, Leslie gets up and she goes and has her quiet time. And she opens the Word and she gets in there and does her Bible study and she'll spend some time in prayer and, and, and devotions. And then she will ask God for her assignment. And she asks for the assignment and then she waits. And she just waits on God until uh, God gives her a name. And if you know my wife, you'll be going, Wow, really? Leslie? And when Leslie first shared, this is what she's doing with me, it totally blew me away. But yes, this is, this is what my Leslie is doing. God, what's my assignment for today? And she waits on him. And every time, sure enough, a name, comes, a name comes. And sometimes it's random. Sometimes it's, uh, some, it's someone dear to her, someone special. Some, sometimes it's she doesn't know who it is. Sometimes it's Michael at BP Whitby. Who's Michael at BP Whitby? She goes down to BP Whitby and no one knows who Michael is. So she waits and waits, asking people, Hi, are you Michael? This is the journey you're on. And if you know my wife, you're going, Wow, really? So sometimes it's someone she knows. Sometimes it's the dear lady down at Mainly Music. And um, sometimes it's Michael at BP. Sometimes it's a, it's a family friend. Sometimes it's someone Lizzie hasn't talked to for a long time. But every day, God gives her a name. And then he gives her a picture of what he wants to do. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's flowers, like to the lady at, at Mainly Music. Sometimes it's, uh, I want to pay for your petrol, Michael, at BP Whitby. Sometimes it's, uh, I need to share with you what I actually believe. It's, every time it's very different, and every time it's really scary. But this, this journey for Leslie isn't, actually about going out there and changing the world and blessing everyone. This journey is actually Leslie trying to get close to God 
And through this process, God is teaching her to hear his voice. Through this process, he is teaching her how to be obedient and stepping it out into things which are scary for her. Through this experience, her faith is growing in incredible ways. This is how God is discipling my wife. And it is challenging me full on because I want this. And along the way, God is blessing people in very cool ways. Lisa's coming back every week with incredible testimonies that she hears back from these people that that's exactly what they need. That's what they, they cried out in a quiet moment. Not even a Christian, but cried that out. And suddenly God uses Leslie to meet that need. And it's just like, wow. Disciple me like that, please. So, this is number four. Number four. I'll go back. Number four. Ask God. <laughs> that, that ruined the moment, Michael. Ask God every day for an opportunity to bless. I, I think um, what Lucy's doing, and I know that you know, a lot of people do this kind of thing, uh, but take your discipleship to a very practical level. Ask God for an opportunity to go out there and do something. And along the way, we will learn to hear his voice. Along the way, our faith will grow. Along the way, we will learn obedience. And along the way, we'll become more and more like Christ. And you know, all these people are going to get touched as well. And this is what happened. This is what happened when Jesus was working with his disciples as well. People got healed. The gospel was spread around the world. And his disciples were grown into these incredible men of faith who built the church. I want to be a guy like that. How about you? All right, let's pray. Mm. It's full on stuff, Lord. I know that you're so much more interested in who I am than what I do. I know this to be true. So, Lord, I want you to do in me and in us whatever whatever it takes to help us become the people that you've called us to be. So, Lord, as I read these scriptures this week, as we read these scriptures tonight, I see what you did in and through your disciples. I see how you raised them up. I see how you transformed these rough guys into, into people of incredible faith. So I, I pray that for myself now, that you would take me on this journey, that you would take my friends here tonight on this journey, Lord. I pray that you'd give us faith to step out. You'd give us obedience Lord, to answer your call. You give us ears, Lord, to hear the leading of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that we, our eyes would see just opportunities all around us. We would step out and be disciples. Lord, I pray you just ramp up just the level of spiritual activity in our life. We'd see, feel, experience so much more. And thank you, Lord, that this is your plan, that your plan is for us to be so full of faith and life and power that nothing would hold that back. No excuse in our head. Nothing else would hold that back. And that we'd be able to fully live out the knowledge that you've put in our heads and put in our hearts. That you just continue to transform us to be more like your son Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Clay. Awesome message. I think that's a great challenge, isn't it?